Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. We're back in the studio here with myself, Robert Demergen, Andrew McGarry. Hi, how's it going? Daniel Preston. Hey. And Courtney as well. Hello. So this week, we're going to be continuing our conversation about the Nephilim. Last week, we talked about a kind of a biblical perspective on interpreting Genesis 6-4 and uh, how that can either be a supernatural interpretation. And Daniel Preston presented his perspective, which is I'd, I'd say you know, a more commonly accepted view of it, it being non-supernatural. Um, but this week, we wanted to touch upon some of the things that we highlighted in our previous discussion, looking at archaeological evidence, talking about history, mythology, and these kinds of things, and just and, and looking at the subject in a, in a larger picture. So let's just do a quick recap. Uh, Daniel, go ahead and just kind of recap what your view is uh, briefly, how you interpret the Bible, and, and uh, me and Andrew will kind of sum up our position again. Yeah, so just to begin, there are two primary reasons why I would argue that the Nephilim can't be considered a demigod, half-spirit, half-human kind of entity. The first is that I believe the divine spiritual realm is not able to corporally manifest itself and seminally transmit DNA to a woman that's the first reason. Okay. Second reason, it appears as though the Nephilim passage is placed right before the flood narrative as a means of humanity falling further and further into sin or rebellion, chaos against God and his intended plan. And so it would be odd that the flood narrative would be judgment for something that angels did against God. It seems okay. to be more of a punishment against humans. So those are just the two reasons why I would say they're not demigods. And then also just some of your point up, did you, you held to the rulers? Yeah, that the sons of God, Elohim, are, it's more of a socioeconomic struggle Okay, where the rich rulers not rich, just powerful rulers are taking advantage of the daughters of men, lower class individuals, a sort yeah. of upset of God's call for the powerful to look after the weak. Yeah. Okay, great, great. And then Andrew, would you like to sum up kind of our position on that as well? Yeah. Basically, our position is that the account of Genesis 6 is that there were real events that took place that involved women and or humanity and angelic beings procreating and creating this hybrid bastard offspring that um, corrupted humanity and taught them all kinds of wickedness and and ultimately man was responsible for the wickedness that they that they uh, committed and that's why the okay. flood happened okay that's a that's and, a yeah, bit broad overview so yeah for more on on kind of the biblical points on that we touched that on the in the previous podcast but for this i really want to just broaden the conversation um and really talk about what personally cued me into this uh and and what are the implications of this 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 kind of you know holding to this position um and, and how that affects some you know, like a worldview in some other areas so uh hmm, i'm thinking let's let's go ahead and just start with kind of some of the key sources that we've looked into that I feel that our listeners could would benefit 
researching. So a few names just to throw out there. We've got Brian Forrester. Yep. Uh, we've got the likes of L.A. Marzulli. Uh, yep. If you're feeling a little adventurous, you could watch someone called Trey Smith. He's, oh, he's great. He's a bit of an oh, odd boy, one. Oh, Trey Smith. But uh, so, so these are just some people. You can find them on YouTube um, who I feel have presented a good case for the Nephilim, whether through archaeology or these or just different uh, – some of their research – and now, just just a quick note before we get into that, I, or maybe we'll touch this later. Again, these sources are on YouTube, and so those, you know, so the the person asking, you know, where where is a scholarly scholarly source, you know, where's the credibility for this? And um, and I, I want to touch on this a little bit later. But what I'd like you to do is keep an open mind right now, and watch, if if you're interested, watch these things with an open mind and just ask questions. You can completely disagree with them, and I'm I'm not asking that you believe every word I say for the, you know, I want to empower you to, to ask questions and to think critically. So if you watch some of these individuals, and I'm sure we'll throw out a, a few more names of, of different researchers, watch the evidence for evidence sake. If you think they're lying or this, think about why uh, or how they might, you know, what they might be overlooking. But I want you to, to really be the researcher, be the investigator. And so these are some sources for you to look at. But you know, me and Andrew are going to share kind of our interaction with some of that material that they present, and then Daniel's going to throw in interjections here and there and things we might be missing or uh, why we might be falsely interpreting the evidence. So how about we, Andrew, I think you have a lot to share about, uh, like, Ellie Marzulli, the mounds, and then I also want to talk about the, the Nephilim skulls, the archaeology. Yeah. So yeah. Take, that, take that away. What do you want to get into first? Let's uh, talk about, first let's just talk about the skulls. Let's talk about the elongated skulls and... The fissures, is that a deformity? It, you know, is this skull binding or is this, could this be evidence of a Nephilim being? Yeah. Um, I, I, for a long time, I held to the position that Dan held to. And um, I didn't see any possible way that spirit and flesh could procreate and create this offspring. Um, but as I, as I got into the more, I don't know, fringe, <laughs> fringe researchers and, and writers and commentators on this topic, it it struck me that there was actually some some significant archaeological evidences in favor of a real offspring. I don't know how it's how it's produced. Mm -hmm. I, I can't get into the biology of it. I think of Hebrews thirteen. Is it that that says, "Be careful to to not neglect hospitality, for in doing so you entertain angels." And if you think about that. You could be entertaining someone who's angelic, totally angelic, but they have the appearance of a, a flesh and blood person. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference, you know, not until you get to heaven. In combining that with passages like Genesis six or mm -hmm. or Second uh, Peter two four through twelve, it's it the bricks start to start to fit together a little bit better. Um, so getting back to the skulls, you, you so yeah, real quick, yeah. let's let's kind of define that. So. What has been found? The Peruvian skulls. So we're finding – so the best example I can give is you got Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Crystal Skull. I like oh, using yeah. this example. And I actually think it's interesting that they made a movie about him finding a crystal skull, which is – in the movie you'll see it, it's a – Yeah. It's a, it's a, Think of a human skull with a large rear cranial portion. It's about 20% larger. 25%. To 20, I mean yeah. more, 30% larger than a normal human skull. Yeah. So the brain capacity different. It, it held a much larger brain. Um, kind of think of also there's a few Egyptian um, – I think it's of a, a few of their kings 
or I want to say it's their kings or god. Maybe it could be their gods too. I, I need to look into this more. But also, I'm just trying to give them a picture where it has like an extended, large yeah, I, uh, rear portion. So, but there, anyway, yeah. So that movie has a a large elongated skull on it. Yeah. So I kind of want to avoid that. Like I know there's a lot of ancient alien stuff out there. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of science fiction stuff out mm-hmm. there, and. I think what we see oftentimes is like conspiratorial fringe stuff gets blended in with biblical interpretation. Yes. And that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just interested in this topic and I think it's good for discussion. But I, I don't think that we as humanity were seeded by an, you know, an ancient race of aliens millennia ago. All that ancient alien stuff on the History Channel is nonsense. Or it's it's at very least a, a really wrong interpretation yes. of... Yeah events that may have happened something but it's turned into myth and it's turned into modern conjecture and and things like that um to to briefly deviate there that is an important aspect i think that the equating the what i see it as equating the demonic realm with aliens this is really coming back to like we have an evolutionary worldview naturalistic there are no aliens there are no spiritual beings so these are aliens they were physical beings from another planet no and see what we're saying is we do see the spiritual realm. We're seeing that there is an interplay. And this is key. This is very key to the discussion. There's an interplay between the spiritual and the physical. Sure. This is part of that, the deformity of this interplay, of this hybrid, of this unholy, unnatural combination. We're seeing these kinds of things. They weren't aliens. This is, in fact, the demonic realm. But we have most of the world operating out of a naturalistic, evolutionary worldview. Again, they see no supernatural world. So anyway, keep talking about the elongated skulls. Well, yeah, getting back to the skulls, you begin to as as I began to look into these into this topic, I started to find pockets of information here and there. Um, some by uh, a guy by the name of Chuck Missler. He's he's great. He's since passed away. Um, I think he died last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about this, the coming deception and things like that. That's a whole nother topic we can get into later in another podcast. But mm-hmm. um, L. A. Marzulli. He's a radio program host and he's a I think he's a researcher and a writer and uh, has a podcast or something like that Um, a guy by the name of Brian Forrester I think we mentioned him in the last podcast he he's a writer and a researcher as well they present some very interesting arguments in favor of these these skulls being not forgeries not not human not Mm -hmm. ape-like so basically sorry getting back to the skulls you find these skulls that are much larger, they're thicker, they have different bone densities uh, than normal human skulls would, larger eye sockets, uh, thicker jaws. They're just very different. They don't have the same um, shape. They don't have the same sutures along the lines of the skull that normal human skulls have. They have different holes in different places for different things. And they're they're not... ape-like as far as we can tell they're not normal human and they're not produced by what's called head binding which is a practice by certain cultures across the globe and different times when they would either press a board against a baby's head as it's growing to kind of elongate it that's not really what we see here because the the skull is so much thicker normally when you have an elongated skull due to head binding the skull plate thins out but that's not what we find Mm -hmm. the bone density is different it's much stronger and um we're finding or at least they were finding these these skulls in different areas of uh different areas of the globe there's 
a pocket around the Black Sea region in, um, I can't remember what country it is today. Uh, I don't think it was Turkey, but it was around there. And then there's the largest finding of these skulls was in South America in Peru. Mm -hmm. I think the skulls, the mummies were discovered in maybe the 40s or the 50s by some archaeologists archaeologists down there and um these these skulls are mm-hmm. very different and not just the skulls but the bodies that they are with they're much bigger they're taller they're thicker limbs um it's interesting so so kind of so two things first could this you know how how would we respond to you know, this is just a deformity i mean would would the fact that bundles or groups of these skulls being found together or the, the thickness that is it valid to say that you know is this simply because i have seen you know deformed skull images and okay they might sure. be similar but like the brain capacity that raises question you know, yeah so how would you respond to that kind of a i think it's a it's a valid question i think you know it could always be a deformity it could always be a congenital defect but um how, how i would respond to that is you can't use that argument. You can't use that defense in every in every case because there are whole tribes basically that have these skulls. If it were one person, that would be an oddity. It would be okay, the yeah. exception, not the rule. But what we're finding actually is the reverse of that, where it's the rule and not the exception. Since you know, this is a podcast, we can't show images of these things. Um, where what's a good place for someone to look to find some of this stuff? If you are really curious about this, you could look into the Catalina Islands. Um, Talk about that with Ellie Marzulli and what they found. Yeah, yeah. so the Catalina Islands, um, I don't want to just regurgitate his stuff, but uh, the Catalina Islands are a chain of islands off the coast of California, and there were some archaeological digs going on there in the early 1900s, 1919, 1920s, that time frame. Mm-hmm. And they discovered like 800 different grave sites or something like that. There were a lot of skeletal remains found, and most of the men in the the graves were over seven feet tall. Didn't they have a picture of it in the museum, but yeah. later it got taken out? That is in L.A. Marzulli's stuff, in his, in his research. I did and, watch that, yeah, and they, yeah. they were saying that there was a picture of the, the guy, I forgot the guy who found it, but he was next to the gravesite. They had a picture. It was, I think it was in the museum, but then later he visited, it was gone. Yeah. Um, they crop, they cut it out. L.A. Marzulli, he does a long broadcast, a long series in researching this and, and digging into, pardon the pun, digging into this yeah. this topic, finding out what was going on in the Catalina Islands. It's it's very interesting. The um, archaeologist was the his name was Ralph Gideon, and he was the one who was digging up these massive grave sites of very very tall people. The largest skeleton they found, I think, was over nine feet tall. Okay. And they some of them had six fingers, like six fingers, six toes, like mm-hmm. the giants described in Chronicles and Numbers and the Old Testament is, biblical accounts. Is there? Yeah, I'm not familiar. With, is there a verse reference where it says? I can. I I don't have it off the top of my head. How, could you? Yeah. It. If if you want, uh, look that up. I I wanted to mention um, another resource that might be interesting for some of you out there. Steve Quayle and Tim Albertino. They do a they do a documentary on Vimeo. It's <laughs> Sounds really funny. It has a funny picture. I think it's called uh, the Unholy Sea. S E E. They are honestly. I didn't. I think they could have done a better job on the documentary. What they presented, but they do talk about some early accounts of conquistadors and others who uh, were actually, I think, building churches on top of burial mounds where a lot of these things were excavated. 
uh, I think they even say, you know, the Vatican's hiding this stuff. I, they go, they go into this whole thing, but whether or not that's valid, I'm not sure, but that's another resource that I think has some, again, looking for evidence and sources about these things is quite, it's difficult because things that go against the commonly accepted grain of accepted scholasticism don't actually get published or talked about. Um, in the same way, and I think Ben Stein does a good job talking about this in his documentary called Expelled. Uh, it's, it's actually called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, and it's all about how creation science gets defunded, uh, you get kicked out, tenure taken away, these kinds of things. Um, yeah. And I think this is important to talk about because then we have a control of the narrative. What really happens scientifically? You know, what's really getting published? You know, there's people who question Einstein's relativity and certain theories of gravity and how that's been worked out or communicated. Again, these things, you know, they're just asking questions, but when they start, they, they don't get the funding they need or the, um, actually, I believe, uh, who was it, Shel Dr. Sheldrake? He did a TED Talk and it got banned and he was, he's talking about the 10 dogmas of science and he, he's simply questioning them. And the TED Talk got removed. Um, and it was, it was great because I'm like, this guy wasn't even... He simply dug up the research that they had changed the constant. I think it was in 1920. I, again, I don't quote me on this. Watch his TED talk and the research he's done. But they had changed the uh, the speed of light, the constant. He said, "This is a constant. Why is it changing?" And it all so there was there was a shift. I, I want to say the 1920s, where you know they were all finding one number, and then they went and it was like 20 kilometers per second, I believe, faster. And he's like, "You know, how is this possible?" Um, and this was one of the great blunders of of science that he uncovered, according to one of his colleagues that he was talking with. And it was it, it was just showing, okay, what we know, there's questions that need to be asked. But when we start to ask those questions, sometimes the, you know they don't ever get out into the the, the realm of scholarship. And so anyway, uh, so anyway, just bringing us back, it was kind of a that, that's a whole topic in itself. But I wanted to bring that up because we're talking about things that why is it so difficult to to talk to like, where's the scholarship on this? You know, where, where is this? Why aren't more people talking about this? Why has this been isolated in the fringe section of conversations? You know, I don't think it should be that way, especially if we have these skulls and these things coming forth. Um, so anyway, um, so Andrew, did you happen to find the verse or no? Yeah. The, uh, the reference, the biblical reference for someone with six fingers or six toes. Yeah, just go ahead. Uh, second Samuel 21. And it's talking about the, the Israelites, purging the land, the promised land, and, okay, and, and different we talked battles about that. and stuff like that, fighting against the Philistines yeah. and, and stuff like that. And Second Samuel 21, verse 20, there was war at Gath again, where there was a man with great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giant. So it's, let's see, I think the root word there is Rapha, or something like that. Okay, yeah. But yeah, that's the reference. Just moving on, I guess. We've talked a little bit. Did you want to mention Abraham Lincoln, I think, and some of the things he said? <laughs> I don't know. So it was kind of, a, kind of an out there comment he made, and but I think it's worth mentioning. At least. Um, there are... Actually, Dan, do you want to talk about this? You might know a little bit more. <clears throat> uh, I can quickly just touch on a little bit on what we were previously talking about with okay. the yeah. L.A. Marzulli and the skulls if you are looking to try to find the a key word to web search to find the skulls they're called the paracas skulls and they were found in peru mm -hmm. but clearly there i have some reservations about them uh so right now i think it's the nephilim part two 
L.A. Marsuli, before any testing or proper scientific treatment was done on the remains that they found. And by the way, L.A. Marzulli did his study, I think it was in 2013. These skulls were found in 1920. So we're looking at a 93-year gap between the original finding and when they're finally having some kind of testing being done on them. I don't know what happened. Oh, his what, DNA, are you referring to the DNA testing? Yeah, what was going on with yeah. everything during this time. I mean, it's just a massive gap. Um, previous to his 2013 DNA study, he had a preconceived hypothesis already that they were Nephilim skulls. And so he goes, does a DNA study, and says, look, the DNA or the blood type was not O positive, O negative, whatever it was. Yeah. So this shows that it's not 100% Native American. And look, the DNA is actually from the Middle East. Look, they have red hair, all these things. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it seems as though this study is just proving a confirmation bias. He's not a scientist. He's not qualified to do any of these studies. He actually mentions this. He's like, if somebody's questioning my studies because I'm not a scientist, then the scientist should go do it themselves. So, I mean, yeah. I'm still waiting for the scientists to do these sure. studies, things like that. Yeah. So those are my reservations with the yeah, skulls. Yeah. And there's nowhere in the Bible that equates Nephilim with having elongated skulls mm-hmm. or missing yeah. a sagittal suture yeah. or line in their skulls. Yeah. So, and also just kind of along that, that same line, I mean, there, you know, the, the thing is, okay, this could just be a result of head binding and well, yeah, the suture is there. So maybe that that's a result of a, you know, a deformity, you know, and so this is kind of that line of reasoning. You know, this is kind of the issue with this area of, of, uh, research. It's, you know, trying to find people who have done good work and is this just a load of garbage, you know? And my, and my reaction to this is just, well, let's let's ask good questions and let's do good tests. The problem with, and so this was raised by someone who was against some of his work. He's like, they're you know testing this with you know a undisclosed scientist with an undisclosed you know why why is all this there all this secrecy? Yeah, and he has an agenda. I I can see that it's a valid point, um, but again, we're trying to ask the question. Still, is this real? These skulls are showing up. Uh, and I don't want to just explain it away with a non-supernatural bias because as we, in the last section we saw, I do see a biblical support for this. And I think the biblical history for does what? show for the Nephilim, for the, again, in the tribes, we just read in the, that there were tribes of these people, um, but potentially. Uh, I, we even spent some time talking about, was this a reason for the purging of the promised land? We spent some time talking about that too. So I see that as, you know, enough to at least ask questions. But what about Brian Forrester? Who who is the he and what is what work has he been doing? He's a he's a researcher. I think he teamed up with L.A. Marzulli, uh, maybe at one point. Mm-hmm. But he also did testing on, or he had testing done at a university. Uh, I'm not, I don't recall which university it was at the moment, but he did testing on these skulls as well, and. I think he came up with similar data, or at least the researchers came up with similar data that it wasn't, it didn't seem normal. Something was standing out as abnormal or not typically human or what you would typically see in human DNA or genetics. And it wasn't a congenital defect. It was just 
the nature of the DNA. It's just the nature of the, the skeleton itself. Um, you can find him online. He's got some, some interesting videos, and uh, he's been researching the skulls and writing about them for a number of years. Yeah, no. Right now I'm just actually reading the Snopes article on this, and Snopes always makes me angry because it's just it, – it just – to me, it just puts people back to sleep. Everything's, you know, you know, anything that would have raised concern, you know, it's not. You're fine. Go back to sleep. There's no, there's nothing to be aware of. And, you know, they're just kind of discrediting Brian Forrester and the other work. I, again, I mean, you're, you're, oh, Andrew, you have something to say. Oh, um, well, I was going to say that there is an interesting historical precedent for this view as well. Like that okay. there was, there was a supernatural sort of intermingling with, with, humanity among angels and, mm-hmm. and, and women. And um, even Josephus would write about this. This was the predominant view yeah. in Jewish culture and in that part of the world for hundreds of years, thousands mm-hmm. of years, I mean, at least 1,000 years or something like that, mm-hmm. until post-church, maybe around three or 400 AD, when they started to allegorize and symbolize interpretations of mm-hmm. Scripture. Um, but Josephus, you can, you can read about his his take on these being giants like he writes this was a giant this was you know you can find these bones at this place or um these people were huge and this is a secular historian yeah in that closer to the original sources getting information from people who who were around those areas or mm-hmm. uh not peru but the middle east and uh, this was their view this was what yeah. they believed i i want to add real quick i see that my personal conviction about this topic is I really suspect that we have a lot of historical revisionism. There there seems to be a narrative coming from history and the Bible that we are whitewashing. And that is that this was a real thing that happened. This really, you know, and when you start to investigate it, you start hitting walls. My personal conviction, we live in a world that is operating out of a very naturalistic, evolutionary, um, Secularist. Secular worldview. And yeah. and they will not put up with things that counter that. And so, again, this is kind of putting all the pieces together. I, read, I When I read a Snopes article, which is just takes any topic, conspiracy, fringe thing, and just, you know, gives you a bunch of good hit points and puts you back to sleep. Oh, oh I, I don't need to worry about this anymore because it's just pseudoscience. I like to use that word a lot. This is just pseudoscience. Then, you know. But really, again, these are organizations of people working out of that same preconceived notion that there is, or mind mind frame, mindset, <laughs> where this can't exist. So the same, you know, bi- oh, the Christian has biases. They have biases. Sure. Yeah. Their bias happens to be the opposite. There yeah. is Because we haven't proved the spiritual realm. It's a whole other topic that I'd like to cover at some point. I Moving on, I want to I do a quick talk about mythology. And so this is something that I feel, again, trying to understand history, what really went down. Uh, the Bible is the accurate, I'm going to say this, the Bible is the accurate historical account of what really happened. Now, uh, I know Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum talks a little bit about this in, I think, you know, I, the, his book on Genesis, um, if you want to reference that. But the mythologies, the Greek mythologies, Egyptian mythologies, Roman mythologies, have the demigod, this character that is half God, half man. Uh, I know that Dr. Fruchtenbaum is, and I hold this view that this is a corruption of the Nephilim account. Could be. This is, I would say it's highly likely. We have these, because again, the pagan cultures without the Bible 
saw these angels as gods. They're still I seeing, mean, you're still having these sorts of encounters with angels and these interactions with angels and, and humanity recorded in different cultures across mm-hmm. different time periods all over the globe. You get it as early as Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. you know, the one of the oldest written documents that we have in existence today talks about the sort of mingling of supernatural. Yeah. Gilgamesh himself was supposed to be two-thirds deity, one-third human. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people see it, a lot of scholars see it as this interesting text that promotes friendship and uh, growth in, you know, maturing yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and understanding and stuff like that. But if you look at it from maybe a more supernatural view, it's kind of disturbing. Yeah, um, the story. I'm not, saying, yeah. I'm not saying take every myth or legend as fact. But what what but, inspired it, what maybe sure. caused it? Yeah, we want to yeah. ask these. These are valid questions that should be asked. Uh, I um, I mean, it's it's kind of similar to the flood okay. narrative. You know, not to go off on that, no, on no, that yeah. tangent, but... The flood the stories, flood, flood accounts. Yeah. yeah, we have it recorded for us in Scripture, but so many other cultures across the globe, Native American cultures, ancient Chinese cultures, ancient African cultures, ancient... Uh, is it a coincidence or did something happen? Yeah. yeah, they all have records or histories or legends of, of this flood. massive flood, whether you want to get into whether it was regional or global, that's another topic, that's fun. But mm-hmm. they all record something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. You get the same thing in mythology. I was, I was going to say, yeah, for one of the philosophy classes here, I was reading uh, Timaeus, I believe. He was, was it with Plato? I Plato. Plato, yeah. And in Timaeus's account of creation, he he talks about these four types of beings. One of them is a fire being. And it's interesting. He's, he's like the stars are, I believe he's saying the stars are a type of being. And he even has an interesting reference in there where he says that some of his contemporaries believe they are, they are the descendants of some of these fire beings. He says some people think this, you know. And so I think it's interesting because, the, you know, stars, what are the stars? Are these, you know, were these viewed as angels? You know, things falling from their first estate. You know, we'd use this language back. Um, and yeah. so we see cultures viewing these things as the gods. Again, getting back to the Roman and the Greek mythology, these demigods seem to sound like the Nephilim. They were stronger. They had abilities. They were superior and so to me, I see this as the pagan interpretation of what really happened. Yeah. Kind of like how the flood, you know, they have different flood narratives. This is the pagan uh, interpretation, the Bible giving us actually what happened. There is a God beyond that, but these, but everyone else thought these were gods. Why? They're, they're superior. They're from the heavens. They're from above. Yeah. Are they aliens? You know, you know, again, another, yeah. you know, people. Equate, Stories you know. like Hercules mm-hmm. or the Titans of, uh, of yeah. lore, things like that. I, I would go so far to say that we've done the same thing today, but we have used our religion of science to do the same. We've, we call them aliens instead. You know, we call the, you know, whenever we see evidence of the, uh, you know, the Peruvian skulls, Snopes, read the Snopes article, elongated skulls found in Peru, could be aliens, question mark. You know, and it's like it has different DNA. Oh, and then, you know, it just goes on. Yeah. Point is, they're not aliens. No, no, no. Uh, Harvard study, I wish I could, I, I could cite it to you, but there was a Harvard study, I, I forgot when it was done. Um, 92. I think if the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and they compared extraterrestrial accounts with, do you happen to remember Ritual abuse, ritual abuse. Satanic ritual abuse. Satanic ritual abuse. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. (laughs) Alien abduction accounts. And they were the same. They, people were. Well, well, like. May I? Yeah, go ahead. So the, the study that was done by Harvard University, it was done in 1992 Mm -hmm. and it was published. That's when it was published. It talks about the 
shocking similarities between alien abduction accounts and satanic ritual abuse accounts, people who have undergone satanic ritual abuse. There are a number of similarities, and you can, you can find this online. You can Google search. Just Google search something like Harvard study, 1992, satanic ritual abuse. It, you should get the results. But you can see these charts, and it, uh, this is, again, going way off topic, but mm-hmm. kind of related. You see that there are a lot of similarities between alien abductions and satanic ritual abuse in, in how they are performed. It's kind of the atmosphere that was around mm-hmm. them. It's, it's very dark. It's very evil. It's very uh, demonic. Yeah. There's also a lot of evidence that shows when you call on the name of Jesus, you're instantly saved from that stuff, which I find super interesting Boom. because, hmm, what? how could that be related? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So very interesting. I, I have heard that, and that is, that is very intriguing. It's oh, very intriguing we, because, you, you know, Jesus has all authority over flesh and blood. If you call on his name in that sort of moment, like the alien abductions, especially yeah. and specifically, yeah. mm-hmm. people have have said that when they're they feel like they're in sleep paralysis, paralysis. or they're being abducted or they're like being touched inappropriately by these aliens or whatever, they call on the name of Jesus and it stops or it it begins to stop, like or it yeah. doesn't happen again. Yeah, if they're it doesn't experiencing happen again. it over and over. Yeah. yeah, I I we need to do this. We're going to go wildly off topic, but. Time out spiritual the spiritual realm and uh, spiritual attack and these things very very important topic and it there's definitely a crossover because again we're we live in this scientific world where it doesn't exist it does and people experience it there are people who are abused by these things or you know they, some people think the government's doing it or whatever um what's it called uh, gang stalking have you looked into that no that's a whole thing I, I haven't targeted th- individuals yeah that whole thing and they're all oh, they're, they're all making it up I'm like okay how many people are making it up okay like what what's really going on is it spiritual that's a whole topic that you know we should address at some point um, the there's a, another podcast it's called the confessionals with uh, Tony Merkel and his last podcast was on abductions stopped by Jesus. His guest, his name was Joe Jordan, and he's a, a MUFON investigator. Oh, I know and, the president of that. He went to my old church. Uh, mutual UFO something. Investigation, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but the investigator, Joe Jordan, he's a Christian, and he was noticing that there were so many cases of people that were rescued from this by calling on the name of Jesus, that he's, and he couldn't talk about it with other UFO researchers because they all— they couldn't. Ha- they didn't have a good explanation for that. They couldn't. Yeah. They didn't have the biblical frame that we come from to categorize it. And he noticed that there are three different kinds. There's the people that were um, lifelong believers that followed Jesus, walked, you know, were walking, had a relationship mm-hmm. with him. Those people weren't really abducted much, but it was the people that knew of Christ and knew, to, like in in that moment of Jesus, help me, kind of thing that he really could start pulling these stories together because people who have Christ, there's a protection around you. Mm -hmm. And I just think that unless you're opening that door straight up, it's something that you're protected from, but it was, it was really, really interesting. No, Courtney, thank you for sharing that. I, I, we're, we're, we're definitely going off topic, but in a good way, this is, this is, again, I think we're seeing, we live in this, I'm going to keep saying it, a scientific, by scientific, I mean, a scientism it's a type of scientific religion naturalistic secular world rule that ignores these kinds of things it's that courtney just brought up how do we explain these stories they're making it up they're crazy they're no they're not 
They're not. We have lived under this delusion that there is no spiritual realm when it is blatantly breaking through consistently. And there were so many stories, so many coincidences, so many things happening. People know in their souls, again, does that even exist? Yes, it does, that, they're, that, that something's wrong, something's amiss. And so actually, just a personal note, I've had sleep paralysis probably five or six times. My mother's had it. when And, and you know, my friend kind of defending that this isn't spiritual. It, maybe it's not, but he's, this is just your brain switching sleep phases and you wake up and your brain hasn't, you know, fully you know, uh, kicked on. And so you're paralyzed, but you're conscious, you know, so this is just a brain transitioning out of sleep system issue. And that's all it is. And I'd say, okay, fair for some of them, but I have felt on, on multiple occasions, a pressure on my chest, on my neck. Sometimes I'll, I'll just be, I can't move, but there was one time where I could not breathe and, and felt a pressure on my chest and it was a very heavy. And I did, I, I called the name of Jesus every single time. And it went away immediately. My mother, same exact thing. She had the same encounter, called the name of Jesus. It went away immediately. I was once, you know, or, or feeling a presence behind me. I, f- I felt like a cold. The temperature mm-hmm. in the room drops. Yep. Uh, Andrew, you had something to say. But- yeah, I think you can't really talk about, uh, you could, but you wouldn't be giving it due credit. I think you can talk about this topic of the Nephilim, but um, one thing that's kind of related to this tangentially is is the demonic is the spiritual realm because that's why we're bringing it yeah you get these accounts of of people that have gone through sleep paralysis and and there's a view out there that says that once the flood happened it uh it washed basically killed all the all the nephilim but since it was this this human body but like a demonic angelic soul i've heard this they became demons and Mm -hmm. so when we encounter demonic forces it is actually the demon that we're encountering I I yeah, I tend yeah. to I tend to uh, agree with that theory for for other reasons I you know I can't list them all right now sure, sure. but basically there's a distinction between fallen angels or angels angelic beings in scripture and the versus of, an unclean yeah, spirit yeah. why would why would Jesus say I cast out an unclean spirit versus I cast out that angel oh. or that demon I, I, I think I think people that. conflate yeah. the term demon and angel mm-hmm. when they're they're different, but um, yeah. To your to your point, the sleep paralysis. Why is there such a feeling of dread or fear or? Um, it's just the mind. Sickness. You know, just, just I mind. I okay. Maybe it is the mind, but like, why is that mm-hmm. happening? There is there a spiritual cause behind it? Is no, it is it entirely chemical? I don't I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah. No, I I agree completely with you. Um, again, to when talking about the nephilim, I I want to do a full segment on just the supernatural just because it is so important so i i don't want to delve too much further down that because i want to save it for another time and sure. talking about yeah there's because there's a lot there there is a lot there and talk about kind of the charismatic church and how you know all sorts of stuff uh but yeah andrew i i completely agree with you um or we we live in a and just again reiterating living in a world that doesn't see the supernatural that doesn't see the uh the spiritual realm and so um kind of getting back to daniel and some like i think there's a validity to a lot of the biblical interpretations that don't see this they're you know but my concern is that they are operating out of the same (laughs) anti-bible anti they're they're operating against the the, supernatural the the supernatural and well the the reality that the bible portrays um 
Because fundamentally, we have a, a scientism, you know, religion that dominates the world. This is considered scholastic. And so when the Bible doesn't line up with that, we have to bend the Bible to fit it. And Nephilim doesn't fit it. That, that's my concern. I, I think it's valid. That concern is valid and also maybe not valid in some circumstances. So, um, so uh, Daniel, uh, did you have anything? Not a whole lot. Um, <laughs> I, to be honest, I've been doing other things. I just kind of, when I was hearing about uh, what was it, the abductions, being compared, yeah, I kind of checked out. But okay, <laughs> uh, there is something you mentioned trying to explain away uh, biblical. Yeah, but trying trying to explain away, trying to mesh biblical with the scientific in ways with, that just yeah. Wash. I mean, we we've, we've seen this happen validly throughout church history, I guess, probably the most popular example would be Galileo and the Catholic Church. Uh -oh. Catholic Church sees yeah. the Bible as portraying a geocentric universe model. Uh, Galileo comes along as like, it's a helio, I mean, Copernicus, Galileo carries Copernican on a tradition and says it's a heliocentric model and they excommunicate him, and he's like, Ira can't, Ira can't, <laughs> but then whispers under his breath, but that still doesn't change the fact that the earth revolves around the sun. Does it? Yes. <laughs> We're not getting and into that. We're not getting into that. <laughs> eventually. Save it for the flat the earth church, podcast. Oh, I know, right? All that crazy. The church, as they so say. just for our listeners who would probably – agree a little bit more with mm -hmm. not a geocentric model. The Bible portrays a geocentric model. Does it? Of the, yeah, well, that's what, the, that's what Christians thought for the longest time. But then but science made us smarter, right? Yeah, science, science, science is our new enlightened God. us. Science is our new and God. And told us that and that's not true. It's a very valid tool to use to help us understand what the real purpose of yeah. the biblical text is. Is the point of the Bible, let's say, in when the sun stopped still, st sun stood still, Joshua accounts, is the primary purpose to portray a geocentric model of the universe? Probably not. Is that kind of what it's conveying? A little bit. Also but that's not the point. Yeah, King so Hezekiah. it helps us focus in on what the Holy Spirit was trying to convey to us, sure, sure. his readers. So with issues like the Nephilim, divine encounters, I'm not saying there are no divine encounters, but in this capacity, I, I don't see it. Yeah. And I think it helps us show what the crux of the message is in a particular text. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that, Daniel. Again, I hope I know this podcast was kind of all over the place, but um, I hope that it sparked some questions for you guys out there, some things to research. Uh, again, my my concern for us is is to really question what the world is telling us is truth. And my problem is when people slap the terms science, pseudoscience, scholarly and academic around just to either 
it's an appeal to scholasticism is what it is. I want facts to stand as facts and evidence stand as evidence for, and for us to be those who investigate it. I believe that we all, all, every human can, it's whether he will or she will do the research to investigate these things. Um, and I'm, I'm daring enough to be made fun of, you know, with the rest of us here, you know, putting this together to, to ask those questions. And I want you to as well, you know, whether it's about the spirit, you know, spirits and these things. Cause I'll be honest, there is evidence for these things. There are these, it's like an anomaly that shows up and you start digging and you see that it opens up into more and more and more. And that's why, um, you know, but, but if you follow the, you know, what the world tells you, kind of the, the scientific naturalistic worldview out there, you, you know, it, it whitewashes all this. It suppresses it. Ben Stein, again, he clearly shows this in his documentary. Um, and so that's my, my hope and prayer for you out there listening, that you would start to ask questions, that you would start to, to be a researcher because you can. Any of us can. Um, it's a matter of will we. Um, and it doesn't really take that much time. It just starts with, at this point, Google something. And, you know, if it's not censoring the search results, we'll talk about that some other time. Use Bing. Or DuckDuckGo. Use Duck, yeah, that's a good one. Use DuckDuckGo <laughs> or something. Google will lie to you on purpose. Yeah. So uh, that's, Except if you want directions. You sound so somewhere. out there. I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, we're those crazy heads over here. The point is, um, you know, start there. Start by asking those questions. So anyway, um, yeah, I just want to, I like closing in prayer because why not? Thank you, God, for this time. Uh, you know, as we, we ask some questions, we want to be biblically accurate. We also want to, we want to make sense of people's encounters, you know, of, of stories people have had about, especially the spiritual realm and those kinds of things, um, to those of us who have experienced it, to those of us who haven't. Um, and when you have experienced it, you're open to it because you've been there. But when you haven't, well, you know, are they lying? Are they crazy? You know, we, we ask these questions. And just back to the Nephilim, God, that, that, that whole topic, pray that you'd guide us in truth, um, you know, and, and that we would be biblically accurate and uh, aware of that. Uh, I pray bless listeners uh, and keep them healthy at this time of year because a lot of us are getting sick. So uh, just thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Amen. Uh, look forward to joining you next week. Bye-bye.